You're listening to The Naked Pravda. This is Medusa's first and only English language podcast, so please don't be shy about recommending us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. Welcome to The Naked Pravda. I'm recording this on Friday, August 21st, 2020, and I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock, the managing editor of Medusa's English Language Edition. On today's show, we're going to talk about the apparent poisoning of opposition politician and anti-corruption activist Alexei Navalny, who at this moment is in a coma in Omsk and breathing through a ventilator. An air ambulance is reportedly en route to the hospital there, and Navalny's people hope to get him on board so he can be transferred to a clinic in Berlin. By the time this podcast episode is published, he might already be in Germany, or he might already be in the air, but the last reports from Omsk stated that doctors there are refusing to issue the paperwork needed to move him, saying that his condition is too tenuous. But he is apparently stable, and hopefully he remains that way and begins to improve. On this episode of The Naked Pravda, I want to review what we know about Navalny's case and look back at some other recent poisonings, alleged poisonings, to get a sense of what he's up against. As it happens, activists and journalists are frequently poisoned in Russia, or at least it it seems that way. Unfortunately, the authorities rarely investigate these attacks. Now, normally I'd assume that anybody listening to this podcast already knows who Navalny is. But let's assume that one or two folks out there are tuning in now because they saw the news that he's been poisoned in Russia and they'd like to know more. Well. Alexei Navalny is a prominent opposition politician, perhaps the most prominent anti-Kremlin figure in Russia. He certainly enjoys the status outside Russia. He created the Anti-Corruption Foundation, a hybrid activist-journalist organization that publishes muckraking stories about powerful figures and officials in Russia. A lot of the foundation's materials are about illicit wealth owned by powerful people. I call Navalny a politician, even though he's never held elected office. He has, however, run for high office twice. Once in 2013, when he nearly forced a runoff vote in Moscow's mayoral election, more than 632,000 Moscovites voted for him. And again, in 2017, when he campaigned unsuccessfully, albeit very energetically, for a spot on the ballot against Vladimir Putin in Russia's 2018 presidential election. Now, Navalny has many critics among both enlightened Western liberals and diehard Kremlin fanatics. They often point to his early blogging, where he regularly promoted ideas that can fairly be described as xenophobic. More recently, he stepped away from that rhetoric, although he hasn't renounced it by any means, and pivoted to anti-corruption work and what detractors might say is populism. Navalny also has a tense relationship with Russia's media, The state media and other outlets loyal to the government either ignore him or they demonize him as a Western agent. And Navalny's sensitivity to what he considers to be inadequate or unfair coverage in Russia's independent press has also rubbed many journalists the wrong way. For instance, just last month, Navalny made headlines for squabbling online with Medusa's own investigative reporter, Ivan Galinov, about Navalny's reluctance to defend former journalist Ivan Safronov from treason charges because Safronov left the media for a cushy job at Russia's notoriously corrupt space agency. Full disclosure, Navalny has actually blocked me on Twitter. That's hardly 
newsworthy, nor do I mention it to stroke my own ego. It's just context that uh, you listeners might want. I don't remember why he blocked me. I probably teased him about something. It happens. It happens. Anyway, Navalny was hospitalized on August 20th at an intensive care unit in Omsk after becoming violently ill aboard a plane returning from Siberia, where he spent several days in Novosibirsk and Tomsk to promote local independent candidates in upcoming city council elections, and to record some footage for an upcoming investigative report about United Russia deputies in the region. As I'm recording this, the doctors in Omsk were Navalny's Return flight was forced to make an emergency landing when he became violently ill midair. These doctors have not yet announced a diagnosis. They still don't know why he's now fighting for his life, or they're not telling, at least. This isn't the first time Navalny's landed in the hospital under unusual circumstances, as a matter of fact. In July 2019, he was hospitalized with what doctors later diagnosed to be contact dermatitis. Navalny's own doctors questioned the acute allergic reaction theory and complained that they weren't granted sufficient access, raising concerns that he may have been poisoned or exposed to something harmful on purpose. He was jailed at the time for protesting in support of Ivan Galanov, incidentally, whom he recently feuded with, so access to him and his test results and so on was limited at that time. Navalny was also attacked in March and April 2017 during that presidential campaign that I mentioned. The assailants squirted green antiseptic into his face. The second attack actually caused a chemical burn to his right eye that temporarily cost him most of his vision in that eye, and he needed an operation afterwards, which he got in Spain. The alleged perpetrators were activists from the so-called Serb Movement, a confusing acronym that stands for the Southeast Radical Bloc. Anyway, these boneheads appear regularly at opposition rallies and periodically attack civic activists and oppositionists. The members of this reactionary group regularly stage all kinds of abominable events, whether it's throwing shit at liberal activists and journalists, beating up demonstrators, ripping down memorial plaques to Boris Nemtsov, defacing controversial works of art at galleries in Moscow and St. Petersburg, or most recently holding a demonstration outside the Belarusian embassy to trash talk the opposition protesters. I mentioned at the top of this show that there is an air ambulance en route to Omsk right now, as I'm recording this, hoping to take Navalny to Berlin for presumably better treatment. That medevac is possible thanks to Pyotr Verzilov, or Peter Verzilov, the media Zona publisher and Pussy Riot member who needed the same aircraft in September 2018 when he too became violently ill all of a sudden. Doctors in Berlin later diagnosed him with acute poisoning, but they got to him too late to identify the exact substance. They say he, he could have died if it weren't for the fact that he is in excellent physical condition. Verzilov has since proposed two reasons officials in Russia might have wanted him dead. First, maybe it was his investigative work into the deaths of three Russian journalists who were murdered in the Central African Republic while trying to record footage of oligarchy Evgeny Prigozhin's activities in the area, or, second, it could have been due to the embarrassment he caused the Kremlin with the stunt he organized through Pussy Riot during the 2018 FIFA World Cup in Moscow when he and other activists 
streaked across the soccer field during the championship game, dressed as law enforcement in an effort to draw attention to police brutality in Russia. State officials initially refused to conduct any investigation. Prosecutors later forced an inquiry, but there's still no criminal case. Instead, Verzilov himself is now under criminal investigation for allegedly concealing his Canadian citizenship. About two years earlier, another figure with ties to Navalny, anthropologist Sergei Mokhov, who was married to opposition politician and Navalny ally Lubov Sobol, he was attacked inside his apartment building in Moscow. This was no ordinary attack either. A man jumped him in the lobby and unloaded a syringe into his thigh. Mokhov managed to tell his wife to call an ambulance before he passed out. Doctors later told him that they couldn't identify whatever had been injected into his leg because the substance disintegrated too quickly inside his body. Isn't that a comforting thought? Anyway, the police spent about six weeks reviewing the available materials before declining to open a criminal case. Remember, this was the police response to a man being stabbed in the leg with a syringe outside of his own home. One of the best-known Russian oppositionists who's been targeted with poison is Vladimir Karamuza, so well-known because it's happened twice. In May 2015, he was hospitalized with acute kidney failure, and then other organs started failing, and he fell into a coma. Despite a very grim prognosis, he survived, and French specialists later found raised concentrations of heavy metals in his body. Karamurza says he believes he was poisoned with a substance accessible only to Russia's intelligence services. Less than two years later, Karamurza was hospitalized again with similar symptoms and placed in a medically induced coma. Again, he pulled through, but doctors in Moscow argued against claims that poison was to blame. The police declined to investigate the first incident and eventually opened an inquiry after the second alleged attack, but it's, it's gone nowhere. When talking about political attacks in Russia, one name you'll almost certainly hear is Anna Politkovskaya, a journalist who became world famous for her investigative reports about corruption in the Russian army and war crimes in Chechnya. In terms of political violence, she's mostly remembered now for the fact that she was gunned down in her apartment building in 2006. Two years prior, however, she too suffered an apparent poisoning aboard a plane en route to Beslan, where she hoped to act as an intermediary to negotiate with the terrorist who seized a school full of children in that town. Politkovskaya lost consciousness and needed to be hospitalized after drinking the in-flight tea. Her editor-in-chief at Novaya Gazeta said her toxicology test results were later destroyed, and Politkovskaya accused the FSB of having reactivated a covert Soviet poison laboratory to create the toxin allegedly used to keep her from meddling in Beslan. The same poison lab supposedly manufactured the toxins used in alleged attacks against Yuri Shekachikin, a Nove Gazeta investigative reporter who died mysteriously in 2003, former FSB agent Alexander Litvinenko, who famously died from polonium poisoning in London in 2006, and Viktor Yushchenko, the Ukrainian politician who was disfigured after a sudden mysterious illness in September 2004, weeks before Politkovska drank the supposedly poisoned tea. According to Nove Gazeta, the substance that supposedly killed Shekachikin was the same toxin used to poison Sergei and Yulia Skripal in March 2018. 
you know it as Novichok. The airline operating Polikovskaya's flight, meanwhile, said that she couldn't have become ill from the in-flight tea because she was served from the same pot as other passengers, and she was the only one who complained of any discomfort afterwards. Polikovskaya accused three FSB agents, supposedly disguised as ordinary business class passengers, of poisoning her. Coming back to Alexei Navalny, the most honest thing that I can tell you is that there's currently not enough data to say what happened to him and definitely not enough information to identify what poison may have been used against him. If this was an attack, did the assailants mean to kill him, or was this just meant to send a message? After all, most of the suspected poisonings that I've already mentioned did not result in death. Are Russia's potion mixers just lousy at their jobs, or is this all sort of a dangerous scare tactic? These are all legitimate questions, and there's also wide disagreement about who the likely culprits are. As always, many suspect the Kremlin's direct involvement as either the orchestrator or as a consenting onlooker. Pyotr Verzilov told Medusa hours after Navalny's hospitalization that he's absolutely certain that Vladimir Putin is personally responsible for the attack. Investigative journalist Ilya Barabanov has argued that the only two outfits in Russia capable of carrying out this poisoning are the Federal Security Service or Yevgeny Prigozhin's thugs. In an editorial, meanwhile, the Financial Times says if Navalny was poisoned, there is no certainty the authorities or state-linked actors were responsible. Kirill Mikhailov, a lead researcher at the Conflict Intelligence Team, which conducts open-source intelligence analysis, says it would be especially odd for the Kremlin to sanction the assassination of Alexei Navalny, risking mass protests at a time when Belarus is in crisis and Russian riot troops might be needed in Minsk. Seva Gunitsky, a political scientist at the University of Toronto, says it's natural to assume Putin's responsibility for poisoning Navalny, but the scarier and equally plausible option, he says, is that Putin can't really control when and how people with a lot of enemies get poisoned. All this is speculative, of course, and whether Putin was involved in this directly or not at all, he's still very much culpable for presiding over this system of political violence. Right now, a lot of smart people or sitting down and trying to sort out who stands to gain the most from the violence that keeps repeating itself in Russia. Unfortunately, uncooperative doctors and a thoroughly unhelpful police force have made it impossible in the past to reach reliable conclusions when Russian activists and journalists suddenly fall ill. Navalny's aides already worry that his transfer to Europe is being delayed or maybe even prevented in order to conceal any lingering evidence of poison. It's happened before. Maybe. You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, an English-language podcast from Medusa. On today's show, we reviewed the apparent poisoning of opposition politician Alexei Navalny and several similar attacks in recent years against other prominent activists and journalists in Russia. The Naked Pravda is a podcast from Medusa, our first English-language show, And I hope you'll recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in to help put this program in front of more people. Thank you for listening and come back soon.